Yeah, we're in the midst of, uh, of a series of conversations uh, on Sunday mornings that we're calling Everything is Holy. <clears throat> Hopefully you're not getting too sick of it by now. Um, but but we're, we're seeing uh, life, a life of discipleship through all sorts of different lenses. And, and it's been really fun uh, to take some really practical things and some really deep, heavy things <clears throat> and kind of draw them out as Jesus followers and say, how do we view this in light of who Jesus is and, and what the scriptures help us understand God to be? And so, uh, so we had a plan, um, kind of. Heading it's a into good this, plan. what's that? It was a good plan. It was a decent plan, yeah. Sure. Heading into this week, um, but then we pivoted, and that's been like the word of the season <laughs> for a whole bunch of us. It's like every week. It's more the, like a pirouette than a pivot <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Just um, so, so uh, we we decided to shift uh, at the beginning because of something that was stirring in Sabrina that she mentioned, and I really resonated with the value of having a conversation about it here. And, um, and so we decided that instead of a, a typical message, and we haven't even done that many typical messages throughout this, this summer, uh, and I, I think that's very intentional and probably the norm for us moving forward, uh, a little bit more creative with how we, with how we share, um, we're going to do like this podcast kind of a style. And if you don't know, Sabrina's a brilliant podcaster, and so um, I'm just kind of... I don't of know about brilliant. ...get to go along for the ride. But uh, so, so, yeah, I'm going to let her just kind of get us started and introduce where we're going to be looking and why, um, and then we're going to just kind of have an open <laughs> conversation, and we will see where it leads us. We'll see what yeah, so we'll see it. what happens. All right. <clears throat> so where this came from is that uh, transparency time. I have been in a season of intellectual wrestling with God recently uh, for all sorts of reasons that I won't dig into this morning because they're none of your business. <laughs> it's very personal, but it's really, really important that that's okay. And if everything is holy, which has been so much where my focus has been over the last few months as we began planning this series and as we've been teaching in this series, I... Um, I gave myself permission to explore the idea that wrestling with God is holy and that encountering intellectual doubt is holy if I decide to respond to it in ways that draw me closer to God and that allow God to draw me closer to him because that's been a working definition, right? Holy is not other and off and, and above everything else and it's not separate in that way. It's separate in that Rather than dragging me down into the stuff of life, it's drawing me closer to God. So we're going to explore a little bit of how doubting and wrestling can be holy. But that's a problem because the Bible tells us to have faith and doubt is the opposite of faith. That's right. So God bless you as you go. Yeah, so, exactly. And, and this is what we've been told most of our lives. And, and it's, this happens through a cursory reading of the scriptures. Um, and, and the interesting thing is that sometimes when we encounter doubt, when we encounter big questions with the scriptures, um, I think there's a couple things that come up. Number one, we've kind of been taught that the, uh, the scriptures are so consistent that, like, as long as you understand them right, you're never going to have any really big questions because everything resolves. <clears throat> hasn't that been your experience with reading the Bible that it's extremely clear and easy to both understand every bit of it intellectually and to apply it to your lives with consistency, right? Piece of cake. 
and okay. a guy. And it Me comes, <laughs> and before we're too hard on that approach, I mean, it comes from an honest desire to be consistent in faith and to hold the authority of the scriptures. However, the problem that we end up doing is we end up doing all these cartwheels to make things work when we have big questions that we aren't allowed to ask. Because we're not, supposed to, we're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to say, I don't know how I feel about this. Um, or, or if something doesn't line up with us. If Jesus says, hey, just have faith, you know, and God will move mountains. And we're like, I can't even get my kid to come over to the table for dinner. <laughs> like, how am I going to move a mountain? Like, wh- what do I do with this? I pray for something good and it does not happen. And all of a sudden, I guess I don't have faith anymore because the Bible says that God will answer my prayers. And this is what we do all the time, by the way. We, take, we, we, we do things like the Bible says, and then we paraphrase something that's not exactly what the Bible says, um, or we just take one verse and ignore where the Scriptures talk about something else, or we just don't value the reality that the Scriptures have been written over thousands of years as a journal of people wrestling with God, sometimes getting it right, sometimes getting it wrong. And that as we go and see people interacting, that eventually we see more and more truth revealed ultimately then in Jesus because we have God in front of us. And so there's beauty in that, but that still doesn't resolve the fact that we have big questions and doubts. Um, Right. Yeah, so being a word nerd, I started with basic definitions of words because... I like words. And doubt, we're not supposed to doubt, right? I mean, we're told right in James 1, you know, don't, don't be tossed by here, there, and everywhere. Oh, yes. do we have James 1? Yeah, I think cool. so. Um, you know, don't, don't doubt. If you just believe and don't doubt, right? And that's in there. I, that's, that's not me misreading the scripture. So that means I'm sinning if I have intellectual doubts. Accept that. Bible also tells us way more times not to be afraid. So that means you're sinning every time you're afraid. This is where we get a little bit scrozzled. And yeah. so this idea, the definitions here, you know, when, when the scripture says don't be afraid, every single human being has been afraid of something at some point. If only when you were two years old and you encountered your first spider or what a snake, whatever it was. For me, it was snakes. Um, so we know that fear is, is a reaction and a response to something that is actually out of our control. It's not all that different than a sneeze, you know? You can't just say, well, it says don't be afraid, therefore it's sin if, if I fear, right? And same with doubt. Doubt, by definition, is a feeling of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. A feeling of uncertainty. Just like fear is a feeling of, ah! So... If it's a feeling, it's going to just arise out of my humanness. Mm-hmm. It's what I do in response to it that determines whether it's sin or whether it's holy. And so when we encounter words like, like what we have in James, which is one of the biggies about like, well, doubt is bad. Don't let it happen. Don't do it. And if it comes, you're just not supposed to let it have anything in you. I want you to look at the texture of the kind of doubt that James speaks of here. Okay. So, so James says, you know, if you lack wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously. That's an important part of this whole thing. We trust that God does give wisdom. But when, when he asks, we have to trust that God will give wisdom, but don't doubt because, and here's it, one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. So I want you to get this in your head. I want you to get 
Um, a couple of weeks ago, we did a day trip to the beach, and there were some teenage girls playing with a beach ball or something, and they were hitting it. They were like waist deep in water, and it went just a little further, and it started to drift away and like out to sea, right? And so I jumped in and tried to swim and get it and thought I was going to be the hero, and <laughs> it was moving faster than I was capable of swimming. Then I looked back and saw the shore was too far away and turned around. Um, and we just watched it kind of go wherever, go wherever, and it kind of went along the shoreline, and then it went out, and just all over the place. And so, so, so blown and tossed by the wind was that image of a beach ball. And the interesting thing is, when, when we encounter doubt that just says, I don't know anything, or here's a new idea, here's a new idea, I'm just going to embrace whatever comes along, and we don't walk with any convictions, and anything sways us completely, like we're tossed by the sea, we have no center, we have no anchor whatsoever. That kind of doubt will not lead to growth. So, so I, even this idea of being double-minded and unstable, there are ways of asking really deep, rich questions for which we do not have answers for, of embracing mystery, of saying, wow, I just don't know, or this is a tension that doesn't look like being tossed about any which way and just kind of just drifting off with no anchor. So, if we, so, so to say asking questions is immediately doubting or saying, I'm just not sure, or even asking the big questions, like, Lord, where are you? Are you doing anything? Are you real? Like, like there's even ways to hold those big questions and yet not just drift off with no center at all. We can ask those questions and still say, but there's a way of life revealed in Jesus, even if I'm not sure about all this mystery that I still want to move toward. I still want to live the way of love as I wrestle with this. And I want to know truth. I want to understand what I'm supposed to be doing with the life I've been given. I want meaning and depth and richness in love and in wisdom and in compassion and, and generosity and all of those things. I want those true things. And so even if I can't intellectually nail down all the floppy pieces of the edge that I'm struggling with right now, I'm going after those things yeah. that are in Jesus. That's not being tossed. That's still moving forward. And so we were talking about it, that, that doubt is like a subcategory yes. of faith. Yeah. And so this is where it gets really interesting because we've been told that doubt and faith are opposites. So this is the, you know, the little setup that I just was playing around with. But, but doubt is actually a confirmation that we are on a journey of faith. Because if you don't have any doubt... You have certainty or knowledge. Like, I don't have to have faith to believe that Sabrina's sitting beside me. It's just there. It's knowledge. I see it. So, so, the, so when, when we doubt, what it means is we are wrestling with things for which we aren't positive about that we don't see right in front of us. And so to move through it, it requires faith. To doubt acknowledges that I am on a journey of faith, not certainty. And so, so what Sabrina was just saying was there's this movement, this, uh, this movement thing that we can look at, right, about actually moving still toward something meaningful in our lives, toward a way of life that looks like love and care, toward Jesus even in the midst of our questions. But the other thing that doubt, that the other continuum that I think comes up here is when we ask these questions, if we deny that they're there, then we have a different problem, and that's the problem of, of honesty, If we're told, 
If we're told that we cannot have doubt, then all of a sudden, we might find ourselves having to lie about faith. And that, that's a violation of one of the ten. <laughs> so which is better? To be honest with Jesus and broken and say, Lord, I don't have this figured out. I'm really struggling here. Or to say, no, I don't have any, I don't have any big questions. I mean, like, just look in the Bible and it's all there. And we, and we use pithy sayings that the rest of the world looks at it. They're like, we see through it. <laughs> and you're losing your integrity because nobody has all the answers. I've told this story before, but the first couple that, that we counseled and, and the first wedding that I did, um, we went through six weeks of counseling with them, and they were kind of on the edge of faith but wanted to explore it quite a bit. And he would always, he was one of those guys that would watch like National Geographic specials, like about finding like the cloth that Jesus was wrapped in and stuff like that. And I'm not going to give an opinion on, on those things. But, um, but he would always send me links and like this and that and, and big questions. Oh, what about this with Exodus and blank, blank, blank? And I remember telling him, you know, that's a great question. I have no idea. And you know what he said to me? He said, you're the first Christian that's ever used that word. No idea. Wow. He said, and I want to talk more now. And so I think sometimes our our inability to kind of be humble about the fact that there's just a lot of big things we don't know about our hurt, about our suffering, about God's way of working in my life as opposed to someone else's life, that when we're honest about that, it actually opens the door to be more, to be more authentic and maybe to see Jesus better because we're not trying to put on this front that Jesus cautions so much about over and over and over again. Right, yeah, the humility that, that comes from honestly facing your doubts and, and admitting to them is, it's really powerful. It's powerful in a life of discipleship. When we think we've arrived, we're in trouble. But when we're humble enough to admit that we're walking, and sometimes we can see the path clearly, and sometimes it's familiar, and sometimes it is completely unfamiliar and dark and twisty turny. That humility is a part of our growth as disciples, right? When you're feeling solid here and you've got those answers, that's okay because you have those things that you're certain of. And if those things are true, then good. And we need, we need people like that in Absolutely. our lives. Absolutely. And we need and seasons like that in our own lives too. Seasons yeah. where it's like, oh my gosh, can I borrow your faith? Right. But if you are in a season where there's something that you're not sure of and you just continue to say it anyway, which I'm going to be careful, but there are faith traditions within Christianity that I may or may not have been a part of in the past that say, just speak the truth. You speak the truth. You speak the truth. You speak the truth over yourself. You speak the truth over yourself. Okay, if I don't know if it's true right now because that's what my doubt is about, then I'm not speaking truth over myself. I'm speaking something that I memorized, which may or may not be true. Do you see what I'm getting at? It's an oxymoron. I cannot speak truth over myself about something that I'm currently intellectually doubting. Sabrina, hmm. not to put words into Jesus' mouth. Go but ahead. Like if, if People do it all the time, preachers I know, especially. I know, so you know, I'm, I'm in like good company. But, but I can imagine Jesus, with the examples that he's given about things like prayer, Okay, saying something to his people like, hey, you know, here's, there's two people. One says, like, 
just claim the victory of God no matter how you're feeling. And the other says, there's a woman who comes up in a church and says to one of her friends, I don't even know if I believe in God right now. Can you pray for me? Which is the greater act of faith? That was a good I'm, one. I'm thinking he's going to say the second one is our yeah. example. And not, not, not to hold doubt on some pedestal. Not at all. But to not be so afraid of it to think that it, it sinks our ability to live with integrity. Let me, let me tweak your yeah. parable just a little bit. Yeah. I'm going to put words in Keith's mouth now that he put them in Jesus' mouth. So that first person who says just claim your victory but doesn't have any sense of God as the victor. Because there's been times in my life when I've absolutely claimed the victory over something because I just knew it. I just knew it. Like not the here kind of knowing, but like the in your liver or your kidney or maybe it's your spleen. I don't know. Some internal organ, not my brain, where I've just known something. I just knew that prison care was going to be a thing. It's still not even exactly a thing. Like, this is the only prison care compassion team in the country at the moment. But for me, it's not. In my spleen, it's a thing. I just know it. So if I claim the victory over that, that's an act of faith. Because it is something I know. But if I'm facing a situation that, man, I just don't get, how? uh, then if I just speak it anyway, it's going to happen in the name of Jesus. That's not faith. It just so comes back to honesty. Dude. Like the, the authenticity that Jesus calls us to live with in a world where we don't easily have all the answers, but, but like we're seeing, you know, uh, like Paul wrote, we're seeing through a glass that's darkly lit or a mirror that's dimly lit, you know, um, depending on the translation. We're seeing a reflection of the ultimate truth, but we don't get to see it all. And it kind of keeps us humble. But, but we to acknowledge that we don't have it all figured out and to decide that the things that I have figured out, if you're wrestling with those same things, then here I'm going to draw my bounded set and you're now outside of that. We're keeping getting back to bounded set theology, right? Versus like, no, we're going to keep our eyes as best we can on Jesus and the way of Jesus. And we can ask our questions. And like I said, as a, as a community of faith, we can share and borrow each other's faith because we need people. Like, I don't know if you've ever been through times where, like, life is just really, really rough, and you're in a group where people are sharing, and somebody says something's going great. That can go one of two ways. <clears throat> you can get really ticked off at them, right? Like, mm, I'll tell you where you can take your greatness, right? Or, or, and this is not, this is truly where I've arrived now in my life, and I'm thankful for that. I think it's a grace of God. I am so uplifted when I'm like, my week's been horrible, and somebody else is like, my week's been great. Like, oh, thank God. There's still Can greatness out there. Can I borrow some of your celebration? Yes, Let me yes, borrow some like, of your oh celebration, Oh, my gosh. I man. thought it maybe was all gone. Yeah. <laughs> I thought goodness had left. Um, so, so when we do that, you know, like, we, we learn as a people to embrace, and, and, you know, this is what building one another up, this is what being able to, to bear each other's burdens look like. I think one of those burdens might be seasons of just doubt, and we bear them together, and we say, I'm in a season where I, I see and sense God's goodness, and so I will hold that space for you. Mm-hmm. And, and we, don't, we don't tell them, we don't tell those people, like, here, so here's what you've got to do right now. We just say, I feel compassion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe I've been it's there. Really Maybe a me too. Yeah. Uh, but it's not the end of the story. 
and, uh, and I'm not in that place right now. Yeah. So if you need to lean on me, you're not disqualified from this community. You're not disqualified from Jesus, you know. Um, Jesus, oh, here we go. I'm going to segue us. Ready? Yeah. Jesus hasn't let us go, which brings maybe a story about wrestling that we Would started with. Would you like with. to hear a story Woo! about wrestling? What does wrestling actually look like? What does holy wrestling actually look like? And it can look like a whole lot of different things. Um, but there is, funny enough, a story in Genesis 32 where we have a physical wrestling match described. And I'm going to tell you, like several passages in the Bible, this is a very confusing passage, and it says a lot of things that you go, wait, really? Okay. Um, I mean, it starts out with, <laughs> starts out with Jacob and his two wives. Yeah. Yeah, you want to talk about something that's like trying to just seal everything up. You know, here's one of the big, the big five, you know, in, uh, in, in the fathers of our, of our faith, the Judeo-Christian faith. And uh, yeah, and we, we get started with, you know, Jacob and his, and his two wives and all of his servants took off. But What's, that's not for this week. So yes, we're just going to move on in the Sorry. story and we're going to leave it with some mystery. <laughs> Did I put that up, Adam, or not? I didn't. Okay. Oh, no wonder I can't find it. I'm looking at 42 verses 32. There we go. Um, yeah. So in this story, um, he, Jacob is kind of on his way back to meet Esau. You don't have to know the whole context, partly because the story, much like his hip at the end of it, is very disjointed. Um, and so, so the story is kind of in here in the middle of, of nowhere, and nobody agrees on what it means. Yep. Um, there is the, the Hebrew, um, a lot of the Hebrew scholars have a, use it as a metaphor, like we're going to today. But so anyways, what happens is Jacob, in the middle of the night, okay, um, and this is if you want to ever, like, look into it yourself, uh, this is Genesis 32, um, we'll start, yeah, we'll start with the, the awkward verse, 22. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the fort of, of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. Okay, so Jacob was left alone. All right, so immediately we get this, Jacob being alone, on his own, left with his thoughts. Um, he was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. It's like the most weird, trippy story ever. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, meaning Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go. <clears throat> let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Okay. Who's winning? I, I, I'm so confused. Then the man asked, what's your name? Jacob. And then he said, then he, bless him, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. This is the story of how Jacob becomes Israel, the father of many nations. Um, uh, because you've struggled with God and with humans. Which one is this guy? We still don't know. Um, and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. He replied, why do you ask my name? Isn't it a little late for introductions at this point? <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't want to give it to him. Uh, then he blessed him there. So he gives this blessing. And then Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Once again, sisters and brothers, go in peace. Don't you feel clear now? Lots of clarity there. 
Yeah, so we're going to talk about what that maybe points to about what holy wrestling with God looks like. And we might be totally wrong. Or maybe not. In fact, my notes actually say maybe, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> uh, but if we come at this metaphorically, there's a lot here that at least seems to characterize what my life has been like in a recent season of wrestling. So if not Jacob, then at least Sabrina, that part I can attest to. Um, yeah, so... <clears throat> First of all, isn't it interesting that the man that Jacob later says, I've seen God face to face. So anyway, that God won't leave him until he has permission to go. He says, let me go for it's daybreak. So apparently Jacob was in charge of whether he was going to leave or not. And this, this really struck me because this is a huge piece of like my growing up in the church thing. You don't push too hard or you might accidentally lose your salvation. I wasn't taught that in so many words, but that was like kind of the vibe. Like if you're too disrespectful and if you're asking too many questions and if you're expressing doubts, at some point in there it could become blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and that's the unpardonable sin. And you lose your salvation. Like Fred loses his keys, you know, like you lose it and it's just, sorry, honey. Um, and as, as if there's no relationship there. It's only a transactional formula. Yeah. And that's the, the, yeah. the basis of what the problem is. There's, there's no relationship implied with Jesus where, you know, any of us can ask big questions and wrestle with, with our friends about things or about, right. you know, and, and we maintain relationship there. Right. So I, I, I do love that, metaphorically at least, if nothing else. I, I love this idea that God is not interested in beating us into submission and taking off. Uh, he, he wants to be in relationship with us. And as long as we're willing to hang on, he's not like, oh, I can't with you anymore. You know? Um, Do you want me to toss please, in something? Please. Okay. So one of the other things is that it's super fascinating that, that we don't, what's the end goal of this? Because it doesn't seem like the end goal is for someone to win. Because I, like, it sounds like that. They're wrestling. But Jacob's like, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me in this wrestling. So it's not, Jacob's not trying to, to, like, to. Like, I won't let you go until one of us taps out. Right, yeah. Like, and, and the, the other guy doesn't seem to be the end goal to destroy. There's no desire for either of them to destroy the other. So what is this wrestling all about? Um, you know, and so, so there's this beauty of, of this, this ongoing idea that, that in the wrestling, we seek blessing. Right. We seek to know. He uses the wrestling and says, what's your name? I want to know. The desire is to know more, to experience more. At the end, he's thankful for the wrestling because he said, I've seen God in a new way. You know, Jacob would have claimed that he's, he'd seen God before. Or at right. least experienced God before, maybe not seen. Um, but there's all this intricate interest about, like, the wrestling is not a bad thing, you know? And, uh, and the, the Hebrew rabbis used to use this passage to embrace and encourage struggling with the text and wrestling with it, with not knowing what the outcome might be. And that's why the, the Hebrew, um, what's it called? Um, Midrash. Midrash, thanks. I was going to say Mishpat, but that's a different thing. Midrash is this kind of wrestling back and forth where you ask new questions about the text to get to the deepest truth, and you're not worried about asking yourself out of the, right. of the gang. 
because the goal is to seek truth. Yeah, and there's a sense in which this, this looks like this wrestling match was an opportunity for Jacob to hang on until the end and be blessed. And there's some sense in which Jacob knows that. He says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. He recognizes relationship and blessing and identity in the mess, in the pain, in the getting his hip wrenched, in the not knowing the name of the one he's wrestling with and not being told it, even when he asks it point blank. So there's mystery and, and there's pain and there's struggle, and yet he knows there's blessing in it. And so that has been really comforting to me, that maybe what I'm experiencing in my life right now is an opportunity to practice hanging on tight. Because somehow in my spleen, I know there's blessing in it. My brain is struggling right now. My spleen's got it. And I think that that's why maybe... And, and, and if you hear a lot of spiritual formation... Um, masters <laughs> uh, in Christian spiritual formation and in any belief system, really, talk about, f- about faith, period. One of the biggest things, as I say, unless you've gone through a time of intense struggle and questioning, then you, you really haven't grown to the next. And this isn't to belittle if this isn't something that you've gone through. If you haven't deconstructed, we're not like, oh, yeah, your faith isn't robust. But there's a different level of what emerges when you ask the hard questions, when you struggle with some confusion, when you say, wait a minute, this all doesn't add up. Because often what we've been given doesn't always add up. And so, so there's, this, there's, there's hope that is a part of the, there is blessing that is a part of the wrestling that emerges when we ask the hard questions because then we get to build on something that's solid. If we've imagined Jesus as this like little caricature that I plug my code into the spiritual ATM and get my salvation, and I'm glad that Jesus was like my card, mm-hmm. you know, and I, and I leave it at that, and I never learn about the struggle of truly learning to follow Jesus, which is what he told us to do and invited us into in relationship, then I'm going to miss out. If I never struggled with the fact that, that, and we talked about this last week with suffering, right? If I never struggled with the fact that some good prayers, legit prayers, prayers that Jesus would tell us to pray go unanswered, then I'm not going to have a lot of compassion for so many people's experiences in the world that experienced loss and brokenness and said, I just don't know where God was. Well, you didn't pray hard enough. We've had that hit our family. We've had those statements come our way. And it can be damaging. And it was. And how. Yeah, we can, that's a whole different... Yeah. We won't get into that this week. Um, because so look how much changes for Jacob when this is all over with. And this gives me hope, too. Gets a new name, and names were like bigger, bigger, bigger deal for that historical time, place, all that kind of stuff. So it's like encompasses everything about identity and like knowing who you are, where you come from, where all your your people are that are going to provide for you and protect you. It's, it's a whole sense of identity and purpose. And he, get, he gets a new one of those. And, uh, <clears throat> and he gets a, a new gait, a new way of walking. Yeah. Because from that time on, he walked differently because of, of his hip. And it probably hurt when it was about to rain, you know? Yeah. And I've always liked that because there are things in my life that always hurt when it's about to rain. Hmm. I've gone through seasons in my life where I have wrestled hugely emotionally, relationally, you know, when, when my baby died back in 1996, certainly when my son went to prison in 2018, when my marriage disintegrated in 2000. Three. Um, I'm not good at math. Like those moments, 
that was a different kind of wrestling. But the results of those kind of wrestling matches were the same. I got my hip wrenched. I walked a little funny from that time on. There's a twinge from time to time. And it reminds me that I'm still walking. It reminds me that I like the person I am now better than the person before that. It reminds me that I connect to people that I would have just ignored before. And, and maybe it reminds you that you've struggled with humans and with God and have overcome. Ooh. Which, I, not to put that on you, this overcome theme, right? The, back oh. to the victory thing, oh, too strong, good. but you've come through. <laughs> you've come yeah. over yeah. <laughs> those things and that God's, and maybe there's a blessing in that, um, in that movement. Yeah. Uh, okay, so... Sabrina, can we hop to quickly some New Testament examples? We certainly can. Of just where we see, again, doubt not being encouraged, but being embraced as a part of the journey. And uh, doubt I, I being keep something that, that drives people toward Jesus. Yes. Rather than driving them away. Yeah. yeah. Mark? Um, where are we going? Mark? Matthew? Yeah, do Mark. Mark. Mark 9.24. So, yeah, so there's... Um, there's a healing that's desperately needed, and there's a, a just desperate need. You know, you got you got, you got a kid with um, something that is a life-threatening, and the father is asking Jesus to heal him. And Jesus puts him on the spot, and he says, do you believe I can do this? And the response is, I do believe, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. Perhaps the best verse in the Bible. Not really. There's a lot of really good ones, but it's such a good one, right? It's such an honest prayer because, like, I do believe as much as I do. But I don't. I I believe as much as I believe, and I'm not entirely sure that that's enough, so I'm going to need you to help me believe however much it is that I actually need to believe because I really need this. That's so good. So close to the the Thomas Merton prayer. Yeah. I wanted to kind of end with that, but that is just so good. We'll end with it later. Um, So so we've got this, that example. Um, We've got this fascinating example in John 20. Um, which is post-resurrected Jesus. Uh, the whole crew's together. A bunch of the disciples get to see Jesus, but Thomas is kind of out sulking or, you know, or, or like just grieving and he can't handle community. We don't know. But he comes back. He hears the report, and he's like, yeah, sorry, I can't buy into that. The pain's too deep. I'd love to believe, but I can't. <laughs> like, literally, I am not going to get my hopes up again. I got my hopes up about this whole messianic thing, and unless I physically see him, unless I touch this guy, is he's either a ghost or he's your hopeful fantasy. And Jesus comes to Thomas and meets him, shows up when Thomas is around, says, Thomas, go ahead. I heard you. You didn't think I was listening, but I am always here. <laughs> go ahead. See. See my hands. This is, this is me. This is, I'm, I'm the one who died. I'm not a ghost. Give me something to eat. And Thomas's response is this incredible declaration, my Lord and my God, which is intended, by the way, to be like foundational for the church. Jesus moves from just rabbi to Lord and God fully. My God is the culmination of John's message. My Lord, my God. Um, but anyways, right after that, Jesus looks at him. And he says, you've, you've seen and you believed. But blessed are all those who don't see. And believe. And to me, when I hear that, I hear Jesus giving a special blessing to those who have to struggle, who don't get it handed to them easily, who don't have the gift of faith, 
or at least in seasons where they don't have the gift of faith, where faith is hard. Jesus is like, I get it. Man, and I'm speaking hope and blessing to those people because look at what it took you, Thomas. There's going to be generations. There's going to be thousands of years of people struggling and wrestling with who I am, and they're not going to get to see what you've seen, not even close. They'll see some pretty amazing things, but not this. So blessed are those folks because they have it harder. That, in my opinion, is God's permission and love and compassion for those who wrestle. Um, and I think there's beauty there. Um, yeah. yeah. And then, at the end of Matthew, do you want to talk about uh, the other one in Matthew, or you want to skip it? Let's skip it. Okay. The, the end of Matthew, I think, is fascinating. I mean, it's really good, but we're going to skip it. In it is, because time. we want a little dialogue. At the end of Matthew, um, there's Jesus uh, is giving the commissioning to his disciples, the great commission, we call it, Matthew 28. And um, do we have that one? Did I put that one up, Adam? I think I do. Yeah, there it is. So, so, um, so Jesus tells them, you know, come meet me somewhere, right? Uh, and, and then they see the resurrected Jesus. This is another one of those. And what do we get? They worshiped him and some doubted. Isn't that reassuring? But here's the cool thing. And then Jesus said to them, those who have doubted, make your way out. I have something to share with the real Christians. He doesn't say that. We don't know what happens. All we know is that some worshipped him. They worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them. Them. Which ones? I think all of them. All of them. The ones who were like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't have a framework. I was never taught this in Sunday school because Sunday school story is being formed right in front of me. They've just seen somebody raised from the dead. Like, okay, be excited, but they're terrified. They're scared. They don't know what any of this means. They had no framework for it. So Jesus says, hey, it's okay. Some worship, some doubted, but authority has been given to me, <laughs> so go. I'm going to give it to you. Go and use my power and my energy to make disciples, to teach people about my way of life, to introduce them, to baptize them into the family, and I'm going to be with you always. The, the church is founded on a bunch of worshiping doubters. It's a part of the story. And it's not called out. It's just mentioned. It's mentioned that this was hard for some of the originals. It's not encouraged. It's just accepted as a part of the story, part of the reality. So I think that there's power there. Um, you know, these people of uncertainty being able to be included in the story and in the mission, and in the mission of God. I think there's beauty there. And let's talk about mission just a little bit. So where did, where did this stuff come from for me? Well, it came from some people asking me some really hard questions that I don't have good answers for. It came from me involved in very deep, intense conversations with people who felt safe enough to ask me some things that sounded really stinking irreverent. Some people who have church background who were saying things that would curdle the blood of their Sunday school teachers. And the only reason I think that those people were having that kind of conversation with me is because there was enough of a desire for truth that they observe in me that they figured I wasn't going to cast them out into darkness for asking. And I think sometimes people who have really big, hard questions that are keeping them from moving toward Jesus, 
that do have them, standing back and saying, just not sure I want any parts of that. Some of them are prevented from asking those questions that might be absolutely necessary for them to begin journeying toward Jesus because they don't feel safe enough to ask them. Hmm. And by me being humble enough to say, honestly, guys, there's a lot of things in my life that I'm looking at and I'm going, I know that life with Jesus is not entirely a formula, but I thought there were a few formulaic pieces that I followed pretty well. And the outcome hasn't been what I'm expecting. And I'm really struggling with what is this how does this passage fit? And to have them say, okay, so let's talk about the big picture. How about this? And how about this? And how about this? And I really wanted to slap some proof texts on it. I really, I, I've memorized a lot of scripture, man. I could have slammed some verses down and been like, you just got to have faith and stand on that verse, you know? I wanted to. And I was at a moment where I couldn't. And I said, you've given me a lot to think about. I have not entirely enjoyed the weeks that have transpired since that conversation. But you know what? Enjoying it is not necessarily the goal, right? I am leaning into Jesus like you would not believe because of this. I am in the Gospels in such a rich way. I am praying without ceasing. I'm also praying using words that I don't usually use because it's totally different thing because I'm wrestling. But it's so good and it is making relationships possible. I, I think that the people who were pushing me on this expected that it might be one of the last deep conversations we ever had because mm. I was probably going to shut them down. Wow. And that's not the case. I think so much of this is founded on the big idea that that doing our best is actually enough for God. Um, I think that we, we assume that Jesus does not understand humanity if we don't go there. And the, the whole point is that Jesus does, that God understands our humanity. And so, so the, the reality is if we... Now, now you, can, you can go in all sorts of different directions because your heart is hardened, right? Or because you're seeking your own gain or because you want to rationalize your own behavior. Oh, man, you can have a ton of doubts because of what we call cognitive dissonance. Your life doesn't line up with the heart of God, and so you start changing what you think the heart of God is. I mean, like, that happens, friends, right? So, 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 that, so we're not just saying that, that all questioning, you know, is, is great. Dallas Willard, before he died, used to say you'd be as dumb as a cabbage and still say why to every question. Just asking why doesn't make you smart, doesn't make you brilliant, doesn't put you above other people that actually have convictions about something that you're not positive of. It doesn't do any of that stuff. But if we're honestly seeking, if we're struggling, if we're wrestling, if we're seeking the truth, I, I don't think there's anything else that Jesus would be wanting us to do. And Jesus understands that doing our best is enough. I, I, I believe that in the deepest part of my bones. You know, some people struggle with the, the image of Jesus that they've been given because it's so unlike Jesus. And so they try to seek out truth and goodness, but they can't do it with, with Jesus because of the Jesus that they've been handed to, and I can't blame them. And I think God sees that and has compassion. I don't know how. I don't know what it looks like. But I believe God has compassion for people who've rejected a version of Christian faith that looks nothing like Jesus and is still working with them and, and drawing them. So, so if we're honest, I think... That's enough. I just want to write on the whiteboard, too. Yeah. Because um, it's not fair that only Keith gets to use the whiteboard. True. So, 
we're going to bring this to a close yes. with this. But, um, well, with this and then the Thomas Merton prayer, which is too fabulous. Um, so, word nerd, wrestling. Right? I don't know this. I want to see what you're about to do. I spelled it correctly. Proud of myself for that. Because it has a silent W, and silent Ws are stupid, right? <laughs> so, we're going to get rid of the silent W because that's stupid. <laughs> we don't need that. But it should be spelled like that, wrestling. Um, this whole idea of doubting, especially intellectually doubting, <clears throat> is not sin. It's a feeling of uncertainty, and it's what I do with it that determines whether I am moving away from Jesus or whether I'm moving toward Jesus and growing in holiness, right? Doubt does not come because of a progressive series of sinful choices, okay? Some things can. Infidelity to my husband could very well come from allowing resentment to grow between the two of us, followed by allowing a friendship with another person to gain an inappropriate level of privacy and secrecy in my life, followed by acting out on that, followed by leaving my husband. Like, there's a, there's a progression that gets you there, right? But doubt, if I just take away one more letter that's not stupid, wrestling is not really that far away from resting. And I was resting in Jesus hmm. when this conversation was put before me that raised intellectual doubt. I was not strolling into disobedience. I was not out spending lots of time with people that I knew. I know, and I was saying to Fred, I know, I probably, I'm not like really feeling the whole, like I've, I've been in a really cool, fabulous place of a lot of growth recently. And in the span of one letter, a lowercase l, which is a really skinny letter, I went from resting to wrestling. It's not, Doubt is not something that is the result of sinful choice after sinful choice. It is a feeling of uncertainty. And when it comes on you, if you go into shame, you're wasting that opportunity. Because mm -hmm. everything is holy. So don't let the shame rob you of the opportunity yeah. to wrestle. And Jesus didn't say, come to me if you're weary and worn out and I'll give you rest, unless the issue that you're wearied by is like a doubt or a, a big intellectual wrestling. He just says, come to me and I'll give you rest. So we trust even in that, even when we don't feel it, we trust that there's, that the presence of Jesus does not leave us. Um, so there's, yeah, there, there's just beauty. Don't be afraid, friends, but don't be paralyzed either. Don't be paralyzed by the big questions in your life. Jesus has taught us a way to live that we continue to walk with in the midst of our intellectual questions, in the midst of our deep faith, and we see Jesus in all of those ways as well. So there's goodness. So let's hear from Thomas Merton, shall we? Yeah. yeah? You want to do it? Mine's on my phone. I got oh, to sure. find it, so I'll you do go it. ahead. Yeah. So Thomas Merton, uh, which was, he's a Catholic priest. Um, I don't know. Wrote a lot in the 70s, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, really, really wise spiritual formation um, writings. And he wrote this prayer that has resonated. We've used it before at LifePath. And here's what it is. Uh, he says, my Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I'm following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you 
does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may not know, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadows of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen. A prayer of faith and doubt growing together.